You can open up your Bible to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Uh, that's where we're going to be uh, here in just a moment. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Uh, we'll, we'll hit a few other verses in that same letter, but that's where we're going to spend most of our time together uh, this morning. Um, but I want to say before I begin a special uh, thanks to Pastor Larry for filling in uh, for me last Sunday. Uh, had to be home, but uh, he preached uh, last Sunday for us as a church family, and I benefited from it tremendously uh, listening at home uh, with my family, and I trust that many of you did as well. If you did not get a chance to be with us in service last Sunday, uh, any Sunday I'd commend for you to listen to it, participate as you're able to in the weeks and days that follow, but last Sunday in particular I felt like was really timely and providential uh, that I wasn't able to be with us, and that Pastor Larry was able to preach from that important podcast junkie. I listened to a lot of podcasts, uh, probably too many if I'm honest, but I recently came across one that's been very intriguing for me, one that I've listened to a lot, I've even recommended to a lot of people, and it has a kind of a curious title and then a challenging tagline to it. And the title of it is this, the title of it is Stories Are Soul Food, and then the tagline is What Are You Feeding Your Children? So Stories Are Soul Food, What Are You Feeding Your Children? That title is four words, it's a sentence in four words, stories are soul food. Uh, what he means by that may seem fairly obvious to you, um, but what he's trying to communicate, it's, it's hosted by an author named N.D. Wilson. Um, he, he's trying to get across this idea that if physical food, bread, water, milk, meat, those types of things build up our physical bodies, he's saying that stories are what build up our soul. Stories are what, what get into our hearts, what get into our minds. Physical food, it passes through our bodies, right? It doesn't stay there. But stories stick, don't they, in ways that food never does. They stay within us. They affect us permanently. They have a lasting effect on us, and they have a deep effect on us, right? Uh, stories certainly, as we're learning them, as we're taking them in, they shape the way that we think. They shape our thoughts. Uh, but they have a lot deeper effect, a broader effect than that as well. I would say stories, and I'm borrowing some of these ideas from him in this podcast, they affect more than our thoughts. They affect our desires. They affect our affections. They shape what type of person we want to become. They shape the type of world that we want to live in, right? And stories have this really deep impact on us. So that's why they say stories are soul food. Then that tagline is challenging, but it can hopefully be inspiring to us as well. What are you feeding your kids? If stories really have that effect, uh, what are we feeding our kids when it comes to stories and to, to the young people that are coming behind us? We give thought, if we're parents, we give at least some thought to what physical food we give to our kids, right? Uh, we give them this, we don't give them that, we're careful about these things, or we try to encourage these things. We don't let them just eat whatever they would want physically. But the, the, the thought, the question that should come to our minds, I think, is do we give that same type of thought to their spiritual diet? Like, do we think purposefully about what we're letting them take into their heart, to take into their soul that's going to shape them a lot longer-lasting way than just the food that they eat in their bodies? And so we need to make sure, as parents, as Christians in general, but as parents, as grandparents, as people who are investing in the people, the children coming behind us, we need to make sure that we are feeding them on good stories and that we're feeding them on the story the best story, right? That's going to shape their soul in proper ways. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We've been going through a series the last couple weeks, apart from last week's um, break, that we've been calling Wayposts. We've, we've 
two weeks that we're already in. This is week number three. And what that name means and why, why we've called it that is this. If you ever go out on a trail, and especially if you don't know which way the turns are going, you need wayposts. Wayposts are those little signs uh, that are at turning points in trails that tell you, hey, you need to turn this way. You need to go this way if you're going to stay on the path. And what we've been doing as we're going through this series is try to think through the development of a human being from infancy toward adulthood as a spiritual trail of sorts. And trying to think along the way as we hit certain age markers, what are turns that need to be made? And what are things in that new stage of life that we need to be given particular attention to if we're going to try to help that child, help that human being grow into the person that God made him or her to be? So we started a couple weeks ago with what we call waypost number one. At the beginning of human life, we called incubate. And these all start with I. We called it incubate. And what we said in that stage of infancy and even before birth is that we need to teach children the safety of the gospel, that, that we're loving them unconditionally, that we're protecting them, that we're looking out for them, not because of what they give to us, but because we love them. That's a picture of God's love for us and the safety that he provides for us. And a couple weeks ago, we came to waypost number two as we're thinking about those preschool, those toddler years, and we called that waypost instruct. And we talked about that Sunday about our need to teach them their need of the gospel. Uh, that as we teach them rules, as we teach them ways of life from God's word and even our rules, our expectations as parents, we're teaching them, we're pointing them to God's law, and we're showing them, hopefully lovingly and patiently, their inability to keep that law. That they actually need forgiveness, that they need God to intervene and offer them forgiveness and, and life itself. And today we come to what we would call in our society the grade school years. So some of you even in the room are in this window of time. You're in grade school, you're in kindergarten up through fifth, sixth grade. That's the age we're going to be thinking primarily about today. And we're going to call this waypost number three, we're going to call it inform. And what we're going to see uh, and why we framed it that way is that we need to teach children in that age range especially. We need to teach them the story of the gospel. We've hopefully taught them their need for the gospel, their need for forgiveness, but now we want to teach them increasingly as they get into this age the story that God has written, the story that God has told that helps them see that Savior that he has sent. And so I hope as we jump into this text, as we continue on through this series, that even if you don't have kids in your home, even if you don't have grandchildren in your life that you have more direct oversight of, if you are an aunt, you're an uncle, you're a life group member who has other uh, p- other people's children in your group. If you're a Sunday morning teacher, a Wednesday night volunteer, if you are a neighbor of people who have young children, that you see relevance for this, these teachings even beyond just the nuclear family. And that you see even relevance for your own life. That you can see some of these waveposts and evaluate, did I take that turn? Like, did I learn that lesson? Or do I maybe need to go back and learn that myself? And relearn that myself even in my adulthood or even in my adolescence? Just if we, because we miss trail markers along the way doesn't mean we can't go back to those, right? And, and relearn those things. And so we're going to come today to this third waypost that we're calling Inform. And we're going to root ourselves in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. I'm going to read these in just a moment, but want you to, to know where this is in the Bible, where we find ourselves in this letter before I read it, just so we're not dropping into the middle of nowhere. This is a letter. It's called 2 Timothy. It was written to Timothy. Uh, by the Apostle Paul, uh, near the end of Paul's life, actually, as best as we can tell. It seems like it was written right near the end of his life as he was even awaiting being executed 
for preaching the gospel. He writes this letter to his younger friend, his mentee, his, his young man that he's advised that he's helped become a pastor named Timothy. And he, he's writing him some last thoughts, some last things to share. It's the last writings that we know of that we have from Paul. And Paul loved this man. Like he loved Timothy. You can read that Timothy was going off the rails or was doing anything awful, but what his concern was, what Paul's concern for Timothy was, was that Timothy would persevere in the faith. That, it, that he wouldn't walk away from Jesus. That he wouldn't walk away uh, from this good news that he had believed. And if you read through this whole letter, you can see near the beginning of the letter and near the end that, that Paul has recently seen other younger men do that very thing. He's seen them leave the faith. Even men who were teachers, men who were influential in the faith, they've left the faith. You read their names. These would have been guys as Timothy got this letter that he probably would have known as well because Paul calls them out by name. In chapter 1, verse 15, there's two men named Phagellus and Hermogenes who had walked away from the faith. At the end of the letter, in chapter 4, verse 10, there's a man Paul refers to named Demas who he says was in love with this present world and did the same thing. So there's these people who even seemed like mature believers who walk away from the faith. And Paul is writing this letter to Timothy saying, please persevere. Please press on to the end. Just as I've pressed on and I'm near the end of my race, press on in yours. Press on in faith. And the counsel that he gives to Timothy, he gives him a lot of advice, but we're going to see in this text today, chapter 3, in a nutshell, what the counsel he gives him is this, is keep reading the Bible. That's what he tells, like, keep reading it. Keep getting it into you. Keep feeding on the Bible. That's what you need if you're going to persevere in the faith. And so I want to drop into this letter, chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. Read it for us, and then we'll unpack it together, and we'll think about its relevance for us, and especially for children, grade school children in our life. So chapter 3, verses 14 through 17 of 2 Timothy. But as for you, continue in what you have learned, And have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good word. This is the word of God. I want to unpack this text under two pretty simple headings uh, that will help us uh, take it in for ourselves even. I'm going to unpack this under the heading, Timothy's learning of the scriptures, and then our children's learning of the scriptures. So Timothy's learning of the scriptures and our children's learning of the scriptures. So Timothy's learning of the scriptures. I would note for you at the start of this text, the start of verse 14, that Paul tells Timothy, he says, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed. Continue in what you've firmly learned or what you've learned and firmly believed. Paul, as he's trying to call Timothy to persevere in the faith, he's he's not telling him he needs to learn new stuff. That he needs to like get new material, new things that are going to help him in these later stages of life to be faithful. He's telling him to hold on to what he's already believed. Like what he's already been taught. What he's already holding on to. He's saying keep holding on to that. Keep believing that. Keep clinging to that. And then I love this. In, in verse 15 he reminds Timothy when he started learning these things. 
He, he reminds him that from childhood, you've been acquainted with the sacred writings. From childhood, you've been acquainted with these things. You've known them for a long, long time, Timothy, from childhood. And I want us to pause and take note of that phrase, that from childhood, Timothy's been acquainted with the sacred writings. Because I want us to think, how did that happen? Like, how did Timothy actually learn these things? How did he come across this information? How did it get into his mind and heart? Because if you, if you read through the New Testament, one thing you find out, like if you read through the book of Acts, Timothy is featured in the book of Acts. You read Acts chapter 16, and you pick up a little bit about what Timothy's family was like growing up. Uh, you read there that Timothy's dad, Tim, Timothy's father, was not a Christian was not even a Jew. He, he had no regard, it seems, for the Bible. Had no regard for the scriptures. So this is the head of Timothy's family, has no love of Jesus, no love of the Bible. So how was it that Timothy was acquainted with the sacred writings even from childhood, or yours might say even from infancy? How was he acquainted with these things? Well, we have a, a hint, or more than a hint, in 2 Timothy itself. If you look at the beginning of 2 Timothy, if you're able to turn there for a second, at chapter 1, verse 5, Timothy is told this right near the start of the letter. Paul writes this. He says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. And so we piece together that Timothy's mom and his grandma were Christians. Uh, and you can find out in Acts that they were Jewish Christians. That, that they had grown up, these women, we don't know exactly how, but they had grown up hearing the word of God, what we call the Old Testament. They had grown up hearing these things. They had grown up hearing the words of Moses and of David and of Solomon and Isaiah and Jeremiah. They had heard these words. They had gotten into their minds and hearts. Then at some point in time, we don't know when, but Lois and Eunice, who had grown up hearing these words of God from the Old Testament, they also had someone come and tell them about Jesus. They had someone come and tell them, hey, this Messiah that you've been reading about, that you've had uh, promises of in these texts that you've had in your ears and your heart since you were little girls, he has come. And his name is Jesus. And he died on a cross outside of Jerusalem as a sacrifice for us. And he was raised from the dead. He's the Messiah. And Lois and Eunice believed. Paul says that the faith dwelt first in them before it ever dwelled in Timothy. So they heard this good news and they believed it. And then we know from today's text, 2 Timothy 3, verse 15, that they made sure that they told Timothy about the sacred writings. They didn't let it just stop with them. They made sure that they passed it on to him. We don't know how they taught him. We don't know their methods of teaching. We don't know what that was like. But we do know the content of what they taught him, right? Paul says that it's the sacred writings they taught him. And I think this would have been harder for them to do than it is even for us. In our day and age, we have luxuries of books and we can have physical Bibles in our home. We can have them on electronic devices. We can watch videos. We can try to get the word of God into our children through all sorts of manners. But these women, it's highly unlikely that they had a physical copy of the Bible in their home. But the things they had heard since they were little, when they would gather together with the people of God, they had heard the scriptures read over again and so in their home it seems with Timothy Lois and Eunice made sure that they recited those texts that they prayed those texts that they sang those texts with Timothy 
And they began when he was young. They started, it seems like, even when he was an infant. And they made sure, I would note from today's text, they made sure that it's not just that Timothy was aware of them, but that he was acquainted with them. It's not that they just want to know, hey, there's this book out there, there's these writings that are great, want you to just know that they're there, kind of tuck that away for future reference. They made sure he was acquainted with them, that he actually knew them, that he understood them, that he could, uh, could wrap his mind around them as much as a, a young boy's mind could. And this is a beautiful example of generational investment. Lois and Eunice within their family. Praise God for moms and grandmas that teach the Bible. Amen. Praise God for dads and grandpas that teach the Bible to their kids, to their grandkids. We see embedded in this text a wonderful example of that. Even in the ancient world, passing the scriptures on to the next generation. And so we know that it was important to them right? That's unquestionable. Lois and Eunice, it was a huge priority for them. We're going to help Timothy become acquainted with these sacred writings. But the question for us is, why should it be important for us? Like, if it's important for them, does it need to be important for us? Does it need to be something that we give time and attention to, that we dedicate uh, our lives to doing, to passing on the scriptures to the next generation? And that's why I want us to spend the rest of our time talking under this heading and looking at this text under the heading of our children's learning of the scriptures. We're not just wanting to know about how Timothy was taught, but we wanted to think about how we teach our children the scriptures. In a moment, we're going to look at this text, and I'm going to share three reasons from it that are explicit that we need to teach children the scriptures. But before we do that, I want to pause and note why I think this is particularly important that we teach the story of scripture, that we get it into the hearts of grade school kids in particular. It's not that we can't start before that or that we can't start after if we haven't done so in that age. But for this age range of grade school in particular, I think this is so important that we teach the Bible to them. That we capitalize on those years to get the Bible into their hearts and minds. And a few reasons would be this. One is that from the very beginning of life, just by the fact of being a human, children are story-craving creatures. They desire to hear stories. They desire to be told stories. They like being told stories. They're, they're, they're story-craving creatures. But in these grade school years, and maybe some of you can recall when you were in these years, I would say they be, oftentimes become story-devouring creatures. It's not just that they want them or that they enjoy them, but they purposely start to eat them, so to speak. They go after them. They, they want to hear stories, and they pursue it through all sorts of avenues. Just like often, kind of stereotypically, in physical maturity, a teenager kind of hits a stage where they start drinking gallons of milk a day, and they start eating tons of stuff physically. Earlier in life, when it comes to story consumption, that's happening in grade school, where kids are just starting to take in story upon story upon story, I looked up a little bit of data in our society at least, and reading consumption actually peaks in the middle of elementary school. Like that's when the highest volume is read by children in our society is in the middle of elementary school. And the stories that they read, that they take in, and they could take them in through movies, through television shows, things like that. But the stories that they take in at this age of, of grade school are stories they're going to remember the rest of their lives to some degree, Right? They hear stories when they're infants. I heard stories when I was an infant, when I was a toddler, when I was a preschooler. I know I had tons of stories read to me. I don't remember any of them, 
right? I know they shaved me. I don't recall any of them. The stories I remember, and I'd challenge you to think just, when do you start, when do you remember start, starting to read, starting to take in stories? And it was probably around that age, like kindergarten, even into grade school. Those are the stories that you actually start to remember, that are actually in your consciousness as you move forward as a human being. I read, when I was in elementary school, I read stories I can still recall cracking these open. I read Hardy Boys books. Uh, I read books called Goosebumps that were like a little bit scary books. I read Encyclopedia Brown, like these little mystery books. Those were the things I remember reading in elementary school, and you probably have things you remember starting to read in elementary school as well. So this age is when they're really going to start to remember what they hear, remember what they read themselves. And these stories will, the stories kids take in at this age, they will shape their worldview. They will. But God made us where we inevitably will believe certain stories. Nobody is like story neutral. We're going to believe certain stories. We're going to start to believe someone's story that they're telling us. Someone's story about the world. Someone's story about us. Someone's story about God. We're going to start to believe these things whether we want to or not. God made our kids to believe stories. And it is vital at this age, and I'm going to show you three reasons why, that we teach them this story. That we teach them the story that they're actually characters in. Like not just stories of some fantasy world or fictional world, but stories that they are a character and we must teach that to them. We must get it into their hearts, get it into their minds. And so I want to show you three reasons. I don't want you to just take my word for this, that we need to prioritize teaching them scriptures. But I want to show you three reasons, even from the text we read today, of why you should prioritize teaching your children or teaching children in general the scriptures. The reason number one that I would point out of the three is this, is that the scriptures come from God. The scriptures come from God, right? If you look at verse 15, he says, uh, excuse me, verse 16, he says that they are breathed out by God. In verse 15, he calls them the sacred writings. That's what he calls these texts, right? The sacred writings. There's a reason on the front of some of your Bibles or the sides it says Holy Bible, right? It's not just Bible, like not just a book, but it's holy, that it, it's sacred. There's something unique about these words, about these stories, about these texts. That's not true of any book on the shelf at the library or any book on the shelf of your children's room. This is the sacred writings. These are the sacred writings, the Holy Bible. And the, these aren't just, uh, I was thinking of this this week, what we have in these 66 books of the Bible is not just some like collection of ancient writings that have stood the test of time. There's other books you can find like that that are ancient writings by this person, this person, this person that just help us learn history, that help us know how people thought back then. This book is way more than that. The scriptures are way more than that. They are God-breathed. They are breathed out by God, verse 16 says. They originate from Him. It's like His breath coming out from Him, not just things that some men... One way I would say this is that God is not the editor of the Bible, He's the author of it. It's not just that he kind of like searched through writings of ancient people. It's like, oh yeah, that's good. That's great. Yep, I'll give my stamp of approval to that. That one's good. No, this one's not. That one's not. That, God, that would be God being an editor of the Bible, right? God is the author of the Bible. Like he's the one whose ideas these very things are that he used human beings to communicate. And so the scriptures, it's, imp it's so important for us to get that. 
and understand that these are not just the writings of human beings who had wisdom. These are the writings from God himself, from the God who created us, the God who made us. This is him speaking. And if God has spoken, if God truly is the author of this, if this is really breathed out by him, how can we not pass that along to our kids? Like, often we'll have, like, favorite authors. We're like, hey, kid, like, you, you got to read this lady. you got to read this guy. I love their books. I, I, I think you'll like them, too. How much more should we think, man, God wrote this. Like, God communicated this, like, son, daughter, grandson, granddaughter, niece, nephew, neighbor, whoever, child in my class, I want you to hear from God. And I can tell you what he has to say. It's right here. Like, scriptures come from God. And we should not, in light of that, we should not ever hold out to the the Bible to kids as if it's just some matter of taste. Like, hey, here this is. I hope you like it. Kind of like we give them cauliflower or broccoli. Or we say, hey, you should watch this show or this movie. I really liked it. I hope you like it too. That's like a matter of taste. This is way more than a matter of taste. It's not just, hey, take it or leave it. This is, this is God talking. Like, this is God speaking to us, speaking to you, grade school. Like, hear it like that. I want you to believe it. I want you to know it. I want you to get it into your mind, get it into your heart, way more than you get Harry Potter into your mind, way more than you get Hardy Boys into your mind, way more than you get Babysitter's Clubs, books, or whatever else is popular today into your mind. Get this into your mind. Get this into your heart, and I want to help you do that. The scriptures come from God. Second reason that we should be involved in teaching children the scriptures that we see in today's text is that the scriptures point us to Christ. So they come from God, but the second thing is that they point us to Christ. Paul says in verse 15, he said, he's talking about these sacred writings that Timothy has been acquainted with. And note that he says at the end, the second half of verse 15, he says these sacred writings are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. That's quite a statement. That these are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. What he's communicating to Timothy and to us as we read this is that these writings, the writings of the Bible, of the scriptures, they teach us something. They show us something we never would have figured out on our own. They make us wise to something that we would have never been wise to left to ourselves. And that's the way that we can be saved the way that we can be restored to God, the way that we can be back into right relationship with him, that is a story no human being could have ever written, let alone communicated to us. It had to originate from God. It had to be communicated by God, this way that we could be saved. He's the only one who could craft a story like this, the story of scripture, the story of our world. God's the only one who could impart that wisdom to us. And the story of the scriptures is this. I want to take a minute or two and try to explain what the the story of scripture is and how it points us to Christ, how it makes us wise for salvation in Christ Jesus. And this is our story. This is the story that God has written and that we are part of as human beings. This book, in it, God teaches us about our origins, how we came to be as human beings, right? That he created us. He spoke us into existence as a human race. And back in the Garden of Eden, you read at the very beginning of this story that God wrote, we lived as human beings in the presence of God. 
and the person of Adam and Eve, they lived in God's presence in the Garden of Eden as this state of bliss, this state of peace, of harmony, of goodness, of fellowship with God. But that did not last long. The story continues, and we learn then about our ruin as a human race why our world is so broken and painful, why we have the darkness that we sang about earlier, we learn about our ruin because our first parents, Adam and Eve, those first human beings, they listened to a different storyteller, didn't they? Other than God, they listened to the story that the serpent was spinning for them. They, they started to listen to him and to his voice instead of the voice of God and they ate the forbidden fruit. They ate that fruit that God had told them not to eat. They listened to the serpent, ate the fruit, and that led God, our creator, their creator, to lay a curse upon the human race that we still live under today, that our world is still under today. This curse he laid upon our world, and he sent them away apart from him. And then there are hundreds of pages in our Bible about the history that unfolded after that, up to the time of Jesus and even beyond, that tell the story of our inability as human beings to get back to God. Our failure after failure after failure of us as human beings, sometimes to try to be moral, sometimes to not even have any illusion of that. But we we see this descent of human beings into more and more sin, into more and more rebellion against God. Adam and Eve were not an exception, they were the norm. And we all plunge ourselves into sin. And we fail to live like God calls us to live. But along the way, throughout this uh, book, as you read through this history, and we need to teach our kids this history, God starts slowly making promises. That he's not going to abandon the human race, but he's going to send a savior for us. And, And eventually, in the text of the scripture, and more importantly, in reality, God himself enters into the story. God the Son becomes a human being named Jesus. The creator of all things becomes a creature and comes into our world. And unlike all the rest of us, he actually resists that serpent. He doesn't listen to his story. He doesn't do what Satan calls him to do. He obeys perfectly up to the point and through the point of death on a cross. Dan read that earlier for us, right? He obeyed up to the point of death, even death on a cross. He was betrayed by his friend. He was crucified upon a cross. And he was laid in a tomb. And it seemed at that point, as you're reading through this story, it seems like God, is God writing a tragedy here? Is God writing some story with a terrible ending, with an awful, horrible ending? This isn't how it seemed like it was supposed to be. And in this story that God authored, you have the ultimate. You have God just like he breathed life into Adam in the Garden of Eden. He breathes life into his son. And he raises him back up from the dead on a Sunday morning long ago. And he walked out of that tomb never to die again. And what is proven in that moment in this story, and this is what we could have never come up with ourselves, it proves that his death on the cross was not the victory of Satan, it was the defeat of Satan. Because he died in our place. Not for his sins, but for ours. God the Father punished him for our sins, laid him in a tomb. So, and we might be forgiven. And then he raised them up so that if we're united with him, we can share in that eternal life. That we could be forgiven of our sins. We could have eternal life with him. And the story goes on, and we know that someday, even future from us, that that resurrected Jesus who's in heaven right now is going to return. And he's going to set up a new earth, a, a kingdom that will last forever, where he is the center of it, where there is nothing but peace and harmony. It's going to be better than what Eden was. Where there is harmony among the people of God, harmony in the world. 
we will, li- we will, if we're united with Christ, we will live happily ever after. Right? That's the story that God has written and is writing, and Christ is at the center of it all. That is better than any book your kid will ever read. Like, that is better than any movie your kid will ever watch. Tell it to them. Like, let us tell it to them. He imparts the wisdom of God to us to know how we can be saved, to know how we can be forgiven, to know how we can be part of that happily ever after. All we must do is turn from our sin and put our trust in His Son. And the Scriptures teach us that. They don't save us in and of themselves, right? We don't want kids to just become familiar with the Bible as if that's the end goal. As, oh yeah, We all know, I was a kid like this, we all know tons of people who have Scripture memorized, who can find any book of the Bible in an instant, who have all this information in their head and don't know Christ at all. So our goal must be more than just getting the story into their heart, but they have to get the story into their heart if they're to believe in Christ. If they're to trust in him, they have to know the story that is about him. Paul tells Timothy that he should continue in what he has learned and firmly believed, right? We don't want our kids to just learn the story. We want them to believe in the one that it points to, the person of Jesus. Next week we're going to talk about this, but I would point out in this text that the scriptures are able to make children wise for salvation. They don't save them in and of themselves. They're able to make them wise for salvation. So our responsibility is to teach it to them and the Spirit gives life to them. We'll talk about that next Sunday. But the Scriptures point us to Christ. The third reason, I'll I'll be very brief on this, is that, that, that we should teach children the Scriptures. And we'll get to talk about this more in the weeks to come too. Is that in this text we see that the Scriptures teach us to live. So they come from God, they point us to Christ, and they teach us to live. Uh, Paul says to Timothy here in verse 16 that all scripture is breathed out by God, and he says profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness. And he says that it equips the man of God for every good work. So scripture, these, these sacred writings, they're, more, they're a story. They're the story, but they're more than that also, right? There, there are commands in Scripture. There's prohibitions in Scripture. There's encouragements in Scripture. There's things we're exhorted to do or to not do. And we need to start to teach our children, even in these grade school years, we need to start to teach them as best we can before they enter the volatile season of adolescence to know that when they have questions about life, when they need guidance about how to live, that they come here. Not that they first go to their friends that they go to Google in today's world. But we need them to know that they come to the Scriptures, that there's relevance for their life in, this words, in these words from God. We need to start to try to get the story into them so that they see it as such, that it's a faithful guide. In Psalm 119, the psalmist said these famous words. He said that your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path, Right? We want our children to start to see it as such, that as we go down this trail of life, there's going to be some dark spots. They need to have a good flashlight. They need to have a good lantern that helps them know where to go, that helps them know what to be careful of, that helps them know which way to turn. So scriptures teach us to live. I want to share some practical encouragements for a a few moments to us as we think about how to do this, how to, to get the word into children, how to get it into those that we are discipling who are younger than us. A, a, f- a few encouragements. 
if we're to do this, if we're to impart a love for the scriptures to our children, I would say first to you, to each of us, that you need to make sure you're loving the scriptures yourself. You need to make sure you actually legitimately love the Bible. Lois and Eunice loved the scriptures before Timothy did, right? They, they believed them. They learned them. They valued them. They prioritized them before Timothy ever did. I love and appreciate so much here in verse 14 that, Tim, that Paul reminds Timothy, he says, to continue in what you've learned and firmly believed. And then he says, knowing from whom you learned it. Like, we learn the scriptures from people. We learn to love the scriptures from people who love the scriptures. And it is hard for us to impart to children a love for something we don't love ourselves. And so it, we need to, if you have felt a love for, and appreciation for the word of God grow cold in your life, pray for God to revive that, right? Pray for him to give a desire back to you and then commit to reading it and ask God as you do to give you a valuing again, give you a, a prizing of it again in your heart. So you need to make sure that you are loving the scriptures yourself. Second encouragement I would give would be this, is to start young with your children. If you have children, grandchildren in your home, if you're involved, you have young people in your life, start young and teaching them the scriptures. Commentator Matthew Henry said one time, I ran across this quote, he said, if a tree is to be bent, it must be bent when it is young. If a tree is to be bent, it must be bent when it is young. And so it's important for us, as young as we can, to start reading the Bible with our kids. Start getting the Bible into their minds, getting it into their hearts. I would encourage you, if you have young kids in your life, to get a copy of this. It's called the Jesus Storybook Bible. I love reading this myself. Uh, it, it benefits me so much to condense some of what's recorded verbatim in the Word of God. It, it tells the stories in ways that even younger children can access, but points them to Christ. It's a helpful tool uh, that we give out often to young parents here. It would encourage all of us to, to read that, to have a tool like that to help young children learn the Scriptures. Be and I would encourage you to start young because like, do not wait yourself to teach them the scripture. Don't wait till they're a teenager and adult and you want them to choose for themselves. That is not serving them well. Like, you have the words of life. Try to get those to them. Read those with them. And I don't want you to feel guilt if you have, feel like you have failed in this. Uh, the best time to start if you have children in your home may have been 10 years ago for you. 20 years ago for you. That may be true, but you know the second best time to start? is today. Like, start now. Start reading it with them. Start trying to find ways to read the scriptures with them. The third thing I would say is have a game plan. We rarely succeed at things that we don't think through, that we don't try to plan out. So what I would encourage you, especially with children in your home, is to try to think through a time that you consistently have where you're actually together. For most families, it seems like dinner time or bedtime. Those seem to be the times that we have together. And prioritize seeking as many times in a week as you can. If you want to have a target to shoot for, pick like three days a week. Something like that to start. Have a consistent time where you're together and just start reading the scriptures together. Here's another tool for you. This will be my last tool I recommend. We have some of these in the Resource Center. It's a, a resource called Exploring the Bible Together. It's by David Murray. This is immensely helpful. My family has used a version of this, something as a precursor to this. It is a helpful guide in very simple, small doses to read the Bible from start to finish with your kids. And to ask simple questions to help them process it is immensely helpful to have a tool like this to 
help you get into the scriptures if it's something that's new to you. So I encourage you to have a game plan. If you don't know what that looks like, ask the parents who've gone before you. Ask the pastors. Ask people in your life group. How have they done that? And then learn from them and seek to do it. Seek to put it into action. So have a game plan. Have a few other things. I'll just say this one. The last piece of encouragement I would share is this, is make sure that your children, make sure that children are learning the Bible from people other than you as well. Not, they should learn it from you if you're a parent or grandparent, but they need to learn it from other people as well. When we, I would encourage you, prioritize having children come and worship with us here. If you pay attention in our worship gatherings, every Sunday we read the Bible at least four times. When we start the service, when we end it, in the middle of our singing, and then during the sermon text. We read it four times. So if nothing else in a week, your children will hear the word of God four times on Sunday morning. And slowly over time, there will be hundreds of times that they accumulate over time where they hear the word of God read. When we're able to start Sunday morning classes back up, hopefully in a few months from now, for children, I encourage you to prioritize that. Have them involved in those things. Let them hear the word of God from voices that sound different from yours. That'll help them to value it, help them to see its, its place in their life. I remember being taught by godly women of this small church that I grew up in. I can name them, but two in particular, their names were Imogene Dodson and Nettie Wells. None of you would know who they are, and they have both gone to be with the Lord, but they taught me week by week by week from, I think if I remember right, from first grade to fourth grade. They taught me to love the word of God, even when I was clowning around and didn't care. I knew they loved the word of God. And I knew that they wanted me to. You need to get your kids around people like that. And there's people like that in our congregation. You can be a person like that in a life of children. In closing, before we sing this last song, I want to point you to the end of 2 Timothy, to 2 Timothy 4.13. Paul is getting closer and closer to death as he writes this letter to Timothy. He's soon to be executed for his faith, for being an apostle of Jesus. Paul was just like Timothy. He had learned the scriptures even from when he was a young boy. He, he knew them in and out even from when he, when he was a young guy. But I so appreciate this. One of the things he says in the end of 2 Timothy, chapter 4, verse 13, is fascinating. He tells Timothy, it seems like Timothy's going to come visit him sometime soon. He says, when you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas. I appreciate that Paul wants that cloak, whatever that was. Must have been nice. But he says, also the books, and above all, the parchments. We don't know exactly what that is, what those parchments were or how they're different uh, from the books, but what some people guess is that, that what parchments were were copies of scripture, were, were things that were either Old Testament writings or maybe even copies of letters he had written or that other apostles had written to local churches in that day. And Paul is saying, Timothy, when you come, more than bringing my cloak, more than bringing my books, bring me the Bible. This is a guy who wrote part of the Bible. This is a guy who is about to die. And on his mind is, I need the Bible. I need the word of God till the day that I die. Bring it to me. I need it. And if, if Paul never stops feeding on the Bible, the guy who wrote part of it never stops eating it, never starts, stops taking it in himself, then we ought to never stop feeding on it ourselves 
and our children ought to never stop feeding on it either. Amen.